This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. All of last week's snow and ice have melted away and made for some nice spring-like weather. But how does all this affect the wildlife of Mississippi? Today, we're going to talk to our good friend, biologist Joe McGee. Uh, He'll talk about some of the things that he's been observing this time of year, and we'll talk about the birds that you may or may not be seeing around your feeder. Dr. Major is here, ready for your pet questions. Libby's ready to help you with your latest brush with nature. Join our conversation with your phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877-672-7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. Here's a reminder. Creature Comforts airs twice each week, Thursday mornings at 9, with a repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Let's start with you. I understand that you've lost power or lost power for several days. How are are you surviving in the the aftermath of the uh, snowmageddon, I guess they're calling it? Yeah, well, really, I can't complain too much. Uh, our power was off for a few days. Luckily, we have a big wood heater in the middle of the house, and that's our primary source of heat anyway. So we did pretty good through all of that, and I've even got a propane cooktop, so I was fine. But we've lost our Internet, so that's my connection today might be a little shaky. I hope, I, I hope everybody can hear me just fine. Two weeks ago when I invited... Um, uh, Joe to come on the show. I had frogs calling, which always reminds us to, to call Joe, doesn't it? So I had leopard frogs and chorus frogs and spring peepers. And here, two weeks after the storm, I guess it's a testament to the resilience of our ecosystems. And all of my frogs are back. I wondered if they would be that. I was kind of surprised at how quickly. So I think they, they did pretty well. Evidently, they estivated down in the mud. And uh, they're calling again, and I'm sure he'll tell us what else to to be listening for at night. Uh, we had a lot of bird activity during the cold weather. I guess everybody did. <clears throat> oh, I, and I probably need to mention a little bit of um, sadness that always comes along with that. You know, we hear that any wildlife that is stressed by cold weather is um, more susceptible to disease, and, um, you know, we, that's the animals that might pass away during the cold weather. And there were fatalities. I've had a lot of people call me or send me emails and messages about uh, various things. So there have been deaths at feeders. I had um, found a couple of dead um, goldfinches that, you know, I could feel around and tell they were just emaciated. So I, I think they were really having trouble finding enough food. Uh, the purple martins everywhere had problems reported, and um, that's really sad. There, uh, some people I think are putting records on iNaturalist. If anybody wants to report anything that happened at, at their house concerning um, passing away birds, and there is some bird disease around. That had was it's always around to some extent, and. Uh, Pine siskins um, have had some problems, 
Uh, one thing I want to warn people, if you see any signs at all of illness, you need to you need to clean your bird feeders pretty regularly anyway, but be sure and use a 10% bleach solution if it looks like you're getting any disease. And if um, you can tell that you've got a good bit of disease, I would say clean all those bird feeders really well and keep them down for a couple of weeks. It's better for the birds to um, just rely on their own natural foods. When we congregate them in a bird feeder, there's a lot more chance that they're going to transfer a disease. And there's an eye disease going around in the finches. So you can, and that is detectable when you know, you'll notice it if you see it. It's um, a, a kind of conjunctivitis similar to the pink eye that we get. And um, then there's a salmonella disease that is um, deadly to pine siskins. And that's been a problem. If you get online, it, uh, the, 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 the problem is, very severe in California, and I think it is most years. They've had some problems the last two or three years in California, but it, it's certainly here in Mississippi, and our, our bird watchers are noticing it. So clean those bird feeders and take them down if you feel like uh, disease is being spread. Cleaning underneath the bird feeder is important, too. That's it's Usually what happens is it's the, the, the bird is, it's places where they stand on a feeder and eat, not so much the feeders that they um, have to cling to a tiny little um, perch and eat out of. So it's a reason maybe to take down or to keep very clean any of those platform feeders that we've got. So what are some of the various ways that uh, wildlife uh, attempts to deal with the cold? Obviously, you know, we're fortunate as humans that we have houses that mostly have heat sometimes. But what about some of the various ways that creatures try to protect themselves when the temperatures drop? Well, I mean, obviously, that's why a lot of birds are here. So many things migrate and get away from the cold weather. This is what they always run away from every year up north. And uh, they got... uh, blasted by it this year even though they did come south so moving is always a way to find uh, warmer weather and then of course um, uh, mammals grow a thicker coat so they get prepared early and um, everything I've read so far say that the deer have done fine water is always a little bit of a problem that animals have to you know know how to find that water to be able to survives through the weather and so of course that's something you can do for your feeder birds in your yard um the frogs estivate they dig down in the mud and stay there snakes will be laid up somewhere in a hole there was some rodent death but you know rodents are so good about um building their own burrows that they're usually okay but we had some reports of people saying that they found groups of mice above ground frozen So animals usually can deal with things. Uh, This was colder than we usually have in Mississippi, and it threw us for a loop. So I imagine that wildlife suffered more because it was colder than usual and for a more prolonged time. So if your water was frozen for much longer than they're used to having to go, you know, without their their primary water sources. So um, I guess that's pretty much what I've got to say. Well, and I, th- I think you're right, you know, the the severe cold and then the length, but also the suddenness with which it came on, it sort of, you know, kind of attacked us out of nowhere almost. So 
good morning to you, Dr. Major. What about the clinic? How did uh, you fare during the ice and snow? Well, of course, we had to be here every day, uh, which uh, the first couple of days of that was fairly treacherous coming in. We weren't open for seeing patients, but uh, we had uh, animals that were sick at the clinic and some some boarders. Some people had no electricity, no water, so we, we boarded some of those, those dogs. We did not lose power, which was great. We still don't have uh, adequate water, for example, to, to do a bath. We're relying on bottled water uh, brought in, this sort of thing. Um, the... Uh, yeah, it was it was fairly treacherous. Back to the birds in a second. I would recommend that if you if you find a dead bird or any type of uh, rodent or dead bird, to everybody probably has gloves just about now uh, because of COVID. And uh, I would suggest wearing gloves when you pick up a, a dead bird. Uh, you don't really know why it's dead. And I had several finches that uh, uh, actually passed away uh, either at the feeder or out on the patio, this sort of thing. Uh, and I think the birds, you know, they they metabolize uh, quite readily the seed and stuff that they get. And we, people worry about their feet and all this stuff getting cold and freezing. But they have a special mechanism that uh, allows them to function on ice or snow. Uh, and uh, Libby has talked about this before. You know, you see the ducks standing out on a and uh, ice, this sort of thing. They can they can handle that quite well. Uh, as far as our animals, pets, uh, most people were very aware. I think we've had some, uh, what shall I say, orthopedic issues. Some of the dogs, just like people, have slipped on that glazed ice. Uh, and the majority of people now keep their animals inside during this, these uh, cold spells like that. In the past, there were a lot of animals that were either tied out or this sort of thing, but I didn't really see any uh, major issues with animals that had uh, developed hypothermia. Uh, so that's always important, and water is important, uh, just like with the birds uh, and other small animals. Uh, very important to have a source of water that's not frozen. And uh, we always talk about shelter. Uh, and warmth, if you can, and uh, food and water. It's very important. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Time for our first break of the hour. When we get back, we'll talk with our good friend of the show, biologist Joe McGee. Also got a couple of callers holding, so we'll try to get to Isaac and David. Uh, you can call in with your questions and comments this morning. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more of the show after this. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. If you want to join the conversation with question or comment, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. 
888-346-7464. Email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. We'll bring on our guest Joe McGee in just a minute, but first got a couple of phone calls to get to from folks who've been holding on for us. Let's start in Ocean Springs. Uh, Isaac has called in and is on the line. Good morning, Isaac. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning. Been out on my mountain bike in Desoto National Forest, and the huckleberry bushes are going crazy. Do they like this kind of hard freeze? I thought every every bud on the little bushes would be gone. I love huckleberries. I guess some people call them blueberries. It's our southern variety, right? Right. Libby, do you know how they would have fared in in the cold? Well, as far as I know, they did just fine. I've got huckleberry too, and I certainly hope they did because we all like to to um, see them when they start coming out in the spring. So but from what Isaac says, it sounds like his did just fine, so I'm hoping mine did too. It's a great source of food for birds and mammals alike. And I, um, I know that uh, our terrapins, our uh, box turtles, always like to eat um, blackberries, so I'm assuming that they're big huckleberry eaters, too, when they can get to the branches. If the branches are low enough, I'll imagine they will gobble down huckleberry. All right, Isaac, we appreciate your call this morning. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Off to South Haven we go. David has called in today. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning. I, I appreciate the subject uh, of discussion this morning, especially regarding the uh, goldfinches. We've got a buffet in our backyard. We've got a set of Vitex trees that uh, when they go to see, the birds eat those. We've got hollies. Those get uh, taken down, basically all the berries eaten eventually. Then we put up three separated bird feeders with uh, the oiled sunflower seeds, and the birds just go crazy on them, especially with the approaching winter storm, they just attack the feeders relentlessly for a number of days. And one risk of that, as I, I read, is that some birds can collide with the feeders, collide with each other. We had a number fly into windows and get stunned and yeah. finally recover and fly away. But I had a goldfinch that I found in the yard uh, that had an injured, it looked like a wrist. You know, the, the tip of the wing you could see was sticking out from her side, could not fly. And it was the day before the temperatures took a dive into the single digits and put gloves on, brought her inside, uh, and, uh, you know, in some protection, uh, gave her food, provided food and water for her, and she recovered. But unfortunately, after the sixth day, she just uh, succumbed to... Uh, to the damage or injury or whatever. But I really struggled, and this is why I called, I struggled to find somebody or someplace to take her to for the wing injury. And primarily it was because of the weather because everything was closed. But yeah. if you could provide some resources, phone numbers of places where you can take uh, songbirds like that that we may find that are injured and may stand a chance of recovery. Thank you very much for the program. Good to hear yeah. from you, David. I'll mention to David and to any of our listeners, if you're a Facebook user, uh, Mississippi Naturalist is a Facebook page that you can join and have a, a, a little tab called Resources, and they have a list of 
rehabbers all around the state. There, it's a problem having enough rehabbers in the locations that we need them. But uh, that I, I'm not sure where David said he was from, but that might have been a place where he could have gone. But it sounds like he actually found his places, and the weather was just so bad he couldn't get there. And I know sometimes we do the very best we can, and we just can't get them to a resource that can save them. But it sounds like he did a good job of trying and a bad timing and possibly a pretty bad injury, too. It's, a, a, you know, birds' wings are pretty essential to them being able to go about their lives and to find food. And so a wing injury um, very, very serious. We've uh, brought our friend... Rehabbers are online at the iNaturalist. And you can also call the Museum of Natural Science, I know, and always get the rehabbers' numbers. When museums open, that's a problem because they were closed for cold weather, too. Our friend Joe McGee is on the line now. Joe, uh, following up on that last call, do you have any uh, resources or things that that people might keep in mind if uh, trying to help injured uh, songbirds? The the injured songbird needs to be taken to a rehabber, you know, because they have the expertise to deal with it. And with the weather conditions we were having last week, that was just virtually impossible. A bird like that is usually doomed. It's really hard to rehab a a small songbird with an injured wing like that. I do have a list of rehabbers, but it's, which I can email to uh, uh, Creature Comforts, and then you could provide it to other people. It's not real current, though. I think Libby's advice is, is the way to go. Go to Facebook for uh, the current rehabbers. It's really hard to rehab birds, uh, small songbirds, by the time you get it to a rehabber, usually it's been through so much stress and it's in shock probably that the, the bird is going to die anyway. And it's actually illegal for individuals to have, you know, small native birds. But I don't think anybody's going to pro- prosecute you for trying to help one. Right. So, Joe, when uh, the temperatures first started to drop uh, last week, did the do wildlife and animals seem to pick up on that maybe quicker than we did and did you notice any changes in their behaviors well one thing i noticed i already had about 150 american goldfinches coming to feeders uh, in around my house and that number increased to about about 200 i think this is an estimate but i have a way of estimating it i had about 30 to 40 purple finches coming the thing about the birds they're warm-blooded and they can actually deal with the cold as long as they can get plenty to eat. The problem was their food items were under ice, at least here. Last Monday, I believe it was February 15th, in a matter of minutes, everything around here was covered with a glaze of ice. And they can't get to their food that they would normally uh, get to if it's under ice. They they have internal heaters, uh, just as we do. But those heaters are fueled by the food they eat, and if they can't get food, that's the problem. They can Birds can take a lot more cold than we maybe give them credit for. Their feathers are quite good at insulation, and they fluff them up. I had uh, grackles and red-winged blackbirds show up. I already had about 15 red-winged blackbirds that had been hanging around my yard, but about 50 more showed up last week and a huge flock of grackles, and I noticed that they all looked real puffy. They had their feathers fluffed out uh, to create a layer of air underneath there. And air, as we know, is a really good insulator. Um, Are you seeing anything in your yard uh, recently that's somewhat unexpected? Yes, I had two or three unexpected things. Uh, 
one of the most delightful things I had during the really bad weather when there was ice everywhere were fox sparrows. I had about five fox sparrows to show up in my yard, and I was actually able to uh, get a pretty good photograph of one of them. I think people all over the state were seeing fox sparrows. They, they're here. They're here during the winter. They show up, I believe, in November, and they're here in December, January, and, and much of February. But we don't usually see them unless you walk in the woods somewhere and walk around brushy woodland edges. You just don't see them. But for some reason, they show up when we have uh, frozen precipitation. And they're really, really pretty birds, they, and they have a distinctive way of feeding on the ground. They scratch with both feet at the same time. Uh, so fox sparrows were really nice. When I had all those goldfinches and purple finches and other seed eaters showing up at my feeders, one day I, well, I had been noticing from time to time there would, there would not be a bird in sight anywhere. All the birds were, were just gone. And this lets me know that there's some kind of avian predator around, probably an avian predator around. And sure enough, one day, uh, the birds were you know, feeding normally, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a bird called an American kestrel showed up at one of my feeders. And now, an American kestrel is a, a bird of prey. It's a falcon. It's the smallest falcon that we have in the United States, I believe. I'm pretty sure it is. Very colorful bird, very pretty. You usually see them perched on power lines this time of year, hunting for mice and voles and that sort of thing. But this one had found out that there were easy pickings in my yard because of all the birds uh, coming to the bird feeders. That kestrel showed times. I was able to get a photograph once, not a good photograph because I, you know, I was not expecting it. But uh, haven't seen it for the past two or three days. Another avian predator showed up, a bird called a, uh, well, it was an excipitor. I think it was a cooper's hawk. It was pretty big, uh, but it could have been a sharp shin hawk. The identification of those can be really tricky. But uh, so fox sparrows and kestrels and uh, the um, grackles. Now, grackles are not an uncommon bird at all, but I have not been seeing them around here this winter until we had the, the bad weather last week. But, you know, I had never had grackles on my cedars until last week, and they just mobbed yeah. me. I had, I think, about 20. Yeah. And, uh, but, it, it, you know, in a way it was kind of fun, but it was also a little overwhelming, and I felt like they were taken over from my little birds, but uh, yeah. they disappeared as soon as the snow melted. I, yeah, I haven't seen a grackle around here since the, since the, all the uh, ice uh, melted. I do still have the red-winged blackbirds. Uh, yeah, I was almost overwhelmed there for two or three days. My power was off, and the birds were just showing up in huge numbers. But I would like to underscore, Libby, what you said earlier about disease at feeders. Uh, it, it can be a serious problem. I have found a couple of uh, sick goldfinches and a couple of sick uh, pine siskins. I think after today I may not feed the birds anymore for a while. So they will disperse uh, on their own. If listeners want, to, want more information about disease at bird feeders, they can go to allaboutbirds.org. That's the Cornell website. They, it's really good. It has all sorts of really good information about uh, trying to prevent uh, bird diseases. And they say essentially what Libby was saying, that you need to take the feeders down, wash them really good, uh, rinse them with 10% bleach, and then wash all the bleach off and let them dry thoroughly. Uh, but the, the salmonella is spread through the contaminated feces, and it's really hard to prevent that once, you know, once we start having it. 
That was allaboutbirds.org uh, that Joe mentioned, a good resource there for uh, probably not just uh, the bird feeder uh, cleaning, Joe, but as the title suggests, all about birds. So yes. th- what a great resource that is. Yes, it's a wonderful, I can't say enough uh, good about I can't praise it highly enough. It's really a good website. Cornell, the Cornell Laboratory of Ornithology, they do a wonderful job. And not just North American birds. If you want to know about birds in Africa, they even you can even find out uh, about birds in other countries. But it's really good uh, for for our North American feeder birds. Uh, Before our next break, let's uh, visit with our friend Sue, who calls in from Beaumont. Uh, Sue's got a bird sighting to report, I think. Thanks for calling, Sue. Go ahead. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I noticed that when the sun came out, the birds came out in droves. I had had some birds in the yard that my neighbor told me they were um, female uh, cardinals. They had these buff feathers on their back, but the breasts were just dull red. Is that what that was, you think? I think so. I think it it, it sounds like female cardinals, yeah. And and it was such amusing to watch them because they they got down in the yard and they would take their beaks and turn uh, leaves over and look for, I suppose, seeds or bugs or something. And I had one, then I had two, and before you know it, I had a whole flock out there in the backyard. (laughs) I, I told them, I said, I'm not going to hurt you. Y'all welcome here. So they didn't pay me any mind. They stayed and looked for something to eat. And then I saw a blue jay. I thought blue jays were uh, migratory. I saw a couple of blue jays out in the backyard. That was so amusing because they're so beautiful. They're blue, that great, the bright blue and white, you know, it was a pleasure to see them. And then my neighbor said he he heard a killdeer. And when you hear, when you hear killdeer, it, it's, that's a sign that spring is coming. Is that true? <laughs> well, maybe maybe so. Kill. Let me go in the reverse order of the birds you mentioned. Yeah, I've had kill. I failed to mention that a while ago. I've had killdeer in my yard, which is a little unusual. But my yard is very very wet. Killdeer feed on the ground. They're looking for invertebrates uh, that they find in the uh, in the mud or in the soft soil. I think their diet is mostly uh, animal material, but they may eat some seeds. I, I can't say for sure that they don't. But yeah, I've had killdeer, but they're here year round. It's, that's not necessarily a sign of spring. But if they're oh. if they're showing breeding behavior, that might be a sign of spring. The the blue jay blue jays are migratory, but we also have a population of bluebirds that are in Mississippi year round. They're permanent residents. But some of the blue jays from up north do move south, so the numbers increase a bit uh, in the fall and winter uh, in the in the southeast. Those other, you know, when you first mentioned the birds, I thought, yes, those sound like female cardinals, but the feeding behavior you mentioned is not the feeding behavior of cardinals. They're not leaf turners. Uh, do, you know what a, do you know what a, a towhee is? No. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't know one if I saw one. <clears throat> if, you Google, if you go to that All About Birds you, and you could type in uh, eastern towhee, you may have been seeing towhees. Uh, Cardinals don't, they're not leaf turners. They do feed on the ground, but I'm not aware of them being, you know, turning over leaves the way you described. So I'm not, I'm not quite so sanguine about saying you saw female cardinals uh, now, but I guess it could have been the weather was so extreme. All right, Sue, thanks for your call. Always good to hear from you on Creature Comforts. It's time for another break. When we come back, we'll continue visiting with one of our favorite guests on Creature Comforts, biologist Joe McGee. Dr. Major is always on hand, ready for your pet questions, so call in with questions and comments. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 
672-7464 or email the show animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Creature Comforts. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is biologist Joe McGee. If you missed any of today's program, you can always subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app, or you can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, and then you get to listen to all of the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Join our conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. We're visiting with uh, Joe McGee, and Joe, we got a couple of phone calls to get to, and I think the first one we're going to go to is Jerry in Florence looking for a bird identification. Go ahead, Jerry. Yes, uh, last week during our heavy snow and ice in Florence, I was watching our two bird feeders, and a, a large gray bird dropped out of the sky and grabbed hold of possibly two sparrows, and they both got out of his talons. But he got up on the bird feeder, and then quick before I could take a picture, disappeared. But he had a small head with a sharp beak, not a pointed beak, but a sharp beak. And he was solid gray, and he was about his wingspan was about two feet. And no one up here has been able to identify what that could be. So I was just asking for your possibility of what that could be. I, I, I can give you some uh, suggestions of what it may be. Not having seen it, I can't say for sure. It's probably one of two birds known as exhibitors. They're hawks. They're, they're the bird hawks. One is called a Cooper's hawk. And the other one is called a sharp-shinned hawk. And they're known to feed on birds. That's their main diet, or small birds. Uh, huh. I think, it, it, uh, do you have access to a computer? Oh, yes. Yeah. If you will go to that, that website that we were mentioning, allaboutbirds.org, and, and type in Cooper's hawk and, and see if that matches what you saw, and then type in... Uh, uh, sharp-shinned hawk. Cooper's hawks are present in Mississippi the year-round, but we don't usually see them, but sometimes they'll show up at a purple martin colony. Uh, sharp-shinned hawks tend to be migratory, but they are present this time of year. And I'll bet it was one of those. It could have been a kestrel, I mean, the American kestrel, but I, but they are very colorful birds. They're blue and red. or The red is sort of a rusty red, but uh, I think you would have noticed that can you describe the wings of that bird? Did you see the wings? Probably a, a two, well, not maybe, maybe 20 to 24 inch wingspan when it flew away. And it had a, a sharp bill on it, you know, like a, well, it's not, wasn't an eagle, but you know, the sharp, but, but curved like, curved a, like a, yeah, bill. Like a, a bird of prey bill. Right. And, uh, 
it was just solid gray about the size of maybe three pigeons, I mean, three doves, you know, and I thought, man, I wish I could have got a picture of yeah. it. But when I Googled it and started looking, it did look like one of the hawk varieties. Yeah, probably. I'm thinking probably a sharp shin hawk if if the wingspan was uh, 24 inches. The, the sharp shin hawk is smaller than the Cooper's hawk. Uh, the reason I ask you to describe the wings, a kestrel has beautiful swept back wings. They're like a swallow almost, sharply pointed. And I think you would have noticed that because you saw the bird in flight right up overhead. Right. Well, he he got up on the bird feeder for 15 seconds, and I couldn't yeah. get a picture. But yeah. He, uh, that's the best. I mean, it, right. I know to describe him, but yeah, I you're, appreciate you're de- I was. Yeah, your description is good, uh, and and that's the, what I experienced with the Kessel. They sh- you don't know when they're going to show up. They show up, and before you can get your camera, they're gone. Uh, I looked, and he had that bird, and I said, my, I told my wife, look at this, and she she didn't see it, but I thought, I've never seen this bird in our area, yeah, so yeah. I appreciate your input. If you're know. feeding the birds, and, and you notice, you look, and you say that all the birds are there, and you look out, and they're all gone, they just suddenly disappear, probably that bird has come back, or, or one like it has come back. The the small songbirds are very predator aware they they know to look up in the sky or they they're keeping an eye up in the sky for these birds of prey but the sharp shin hawk and the cooper's hawk know how to sneak in through the trees to to catch something because that's what they depend on to eat it's it seems kind of cruel but that's what they feed on our small birds all right, uh, Jerry, thank you for your call. Good to hear from you on Creature Comforts. We are on Creature Comforts today visiting with our friend biologist Joe McGee. Uh, Joe, here's a, a follow-up on the, the cleaning of the uh, bird feeders. This one says, I've seen online that borax, two cups to one gallon of water, is the best cleaner for bird baths because it's all natural. Would it also be beneficial to clean the bird feeders with that versus the bleach? It would probably be okay to, to clean the bird feeders with that, and then thoroughly rinse it off, but then I think the bleach should be used after the borax treatment. The borax would actually function as, you know, d- detergent, if you will, or soap uh, d- detergent. It just cleans the dirt off the, you know, the contaminated feces, if you will, and the seed, the seed holes that may have built up. Uh, so the, the feeders need to be physically cleaned really, you know, really well with detergent or, or just hot soap and hot hot water, cleaned really good. And the last thing that needs to be done to them is, is the bleach. And then the, and they need to be in the bleach for about 10 minutes and then rinse all that off. Something else you can try, if your feeders can take it, is boiling water. That that would also help after after cleaning them really good, really good. But I don't think borax will sterilize anything. It won't kill the salmonella bacteria. And so that's what the bleach does. It's the disinfectant nature of yes. the bleach that's important. Exactly right. That's right, yes. All right, let's uh, stay on the phone line. It's been a busy day. Joe's always a popular guest. We love having him on the show. Uh, so let's go to Helena, Arkansas, and visit with Charles. Good morning, Charles. You're on the air. Good morning. Uh, we watched something back during the snow. We had grackles take over our feeders, and we watched them three different times kill two goldfinch and one goldfinch we had. And what was really weird about it, uh, when they killed the uh, purple finch, one of the grackles actually flew off with it. Uh, I looked it up on the internet after that and seen the grackles would kill smaller birds, but that's the first time we've ever seen it. Yes, I I have never observed that, but there's been some buzz on uh, online about this phenomenon. In fact, somebody posted 
a request for information. There's some, and I can't remember who it is, but maybe I can look up the information and send it to uh, MPB Animals Online, MPB Online Animals. Uh, somebody's doing a study of this, of bl- not just grackles, but other blackbirds uh, killing and, and eating small songbirds like siskins and goldfinches. I've yeah, never observed it. This was, new, this was news to me. Uh, the first time we've seen them, we've been watching them for about 10 years. But yeah. Kind of it, odd to see them actually may, kill and eat them. Right. It may be a response. Yeah, it may be a response to the extreme weather. The, the birds are desperate for something to eat. Uh, you're way up in Arkansas, right? Uh, not really, just a little north of Clarksdale. But but anyway, you're in. Way, there was a lot of snow up that way, as I understand oh, yeah, it, yeah. up around Oxford and, and around Clarksdale and up where you are. Uh, and those sure. those grackles were, you know, they're not dumb. <laughs> they were probably desperate for something to eat. Yeah, they took over everything while it lasted. Sometimes when you watch nature, things you know seem unpleasant to us, but that's just the way nature's indifferent. They, when things that's get hungry, they're going to eat what they can eat. That's true. I yeah. appreciate your time, man. All right. Yeah. Thanks, that's Charles. Very, yeah, that's very interesting that you observe that. Good to hear from you, Charles. Let's just stay on the phone lines next. It's Hugh from Water Valley's on the line. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning. How are you this morning? We're doing good. What do you have for us? Okay. Uh, a couple of slides. I was glad to hear about someone talking about the fox sparrows. I had I had known they were in the area. I had thought I'd seen them in, around the fringes of my backyard, but I had as many as six show up to the feeder, and they seemed to sh- they showed up first when the starlings and grackles and blackbirds and red-winged blackbirds showed up. But I had uh, probably up to six fox sparrows, and I always had, I I feed the black oil, then I use the suet cake, the peanut suet cakes, and a mealworm cake. And I had, uh, oh, warblers. I had... uh, Blue wing, a blue wing warbler, yellow rump warblers, orange crowned warblers. But the most unusual thing, and the thing I'd like feedback on, is one morning we saw Evden grosbeaks. Oh wow! Had, We're, wow, I'm, <laughs> that's that's exciting. Yes, I had heard that they they were being seen around the the state. I had one at the feeder. And then about a half an hour later, I had a, there was a flock of about four or five flew by. I was just wondering if anybody else had been seeing any. Okay, last fall, someone in Oxford reported, in, in fact, posted the photograph online of a female evening grosbeak that was visiting a, phys, a feeding station. This was in Oxford. And the bird hung around, I forget, and it seemed like a couple of weeks maybe, I'm not sure, and then it left. Do you mind if I ask what county you're in again? Yalabusha. We're about 15 miles south of Oxford. Okay, so you're in the Oxford area, more or less. Yes. yes. That is very exciting news. I tell you, I would almost give a, up a body part to have uh, Evening Grosbeak <laughs> show, show up at my theater. Uh, well, that we, is... we tried to get a picture. It's just like me getting a, trying to get a picture of the blue-winged warbler so that I could confirm that I saw it because like they were talking about with Cornell Laboratories, I participate in their feeder watch program. Right. Where you watch your feeders for a couple of days and report the birds you saw. And, you know, I with the gross beak 
and the Blue Wing Warbler, I'm on both of those, I've got are, one of those. Are you sure this is what you saw? Do you have a picture of it? <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, blue wing warblers are not that uncommon around here, but not this time of year. Yeah. Blue, well, blue wing warblers. Do you know a pine warbler when you see one? Oh yes, I do. Because <laughs> nobody, unless you can photograph that blue-winged warbler i don't think anybody's going to believe it it's uh they 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 don't even breed in mississippi they they do pass through in the spring and fall they migrate through but they're not known to breed in mississippi or to overwinter in the state now you mentioned yellow-rumped warblers coming so you know how to recognize those there's really just four warbler species that you can expect to see in mississippi in the wintertime, the the pine warbler, the yellow rumped warbler, uh, sometimes common yellow throats over, over winter, and I'm le- I'm skipping one. Uh, orange crowned. Oh uh, yes, or- yes, orange crowned warbler, and they they are known to come to suet you know feeders. Uh, but the blue winged warbler, you need to get a good picture of that uh, <laughs> if you possibly I, can. I, I had I had the uh, orange crowned yellow rump and blue winged all in the same shot a half, uh, a half a second before I pushed the, you know, push yeah. the button to take the picture. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I have, you know, I keep up. I watch the war, for the warbler migration in the spring and the fall, and, you know, and it's just some of those warblers are just so beautiful. Uh, another thing about my feeders you know, everybody talks about the grackles and the blackbirds. I also had a mockingbird that kind of, he had possession of the feeder, and any time the grackles would get, they'd get too many of them, he'd swoop in and chase them off. Yes, uh, bird, mockingbirds in particular, but some other birds would do this. They become territorial about a food source. And uh, I've had a couple of mockingbirds in my yard doing that. One thing that I uh, I sort of indulged the birds during the really bad weather, I bought some sunflower seed chips. In other words, this is sunflower seeds without the hulls. And I put those around in, in certain spots on stones. And the mockingbirds found this. You know, mockingbirds can't eat a, or don't eat sunflower seeds that are in the hull. But they find pieces of sunflower seed that other birds have dropped. And that's why they will come to feeders. A lot of non-seed-eating birds will do this. But yeah, uh, mockingbirds can be very territorial about a, a food source, like a, a holly tree. If they find a holly tree that's loaded with berries, they'll sometimes chase other birds away, or try to anyway. They're usually not totally successful. All right, Hugh, we appreciate your call. Good call there. Uh, we need to take one final break this hour. Uh, when we get back, we'll continue visiting with Joe McGee. Author, Dr. Major still on hand if you have a pet question. Uh, the number to call, one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's 1-877-672-7464. Back to wrap things up after this last break. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest today is biologist Joe McGee. 
Uh, we've got another caller on the line. So before the hour runs out, let's talk to Dot in Washington County. Good morning, Dot. You're on the air with us. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I have witnessed uh, starlings and blackbirds eating dead birds. I have not seen them kill them, but I have different feeders for the, for the birds, and the starlings and blackbirds took it out, took all, four or five of them over. But my neighbor also witnessed them pecking on a dead dead birds, and they appeared to be songbirds, whether they were pansiskins or what, I'm not sure. But anyway, because I think somebody from Arkansas or around Clarksdale had seen it. There seem to be more and more reports of this this winter. Uh, as yeah. I said before, I, I've never witnessed that, but I don't doubt it, actually. I don't doubt that uh, you're seeing this. Uh, and there's, as I said, somebody, a graduate student, I think, at some university is study, making a study of this. Okay. That's All right. interesting. Enjoy the program. Thanks, Dot, for your call. Thank you. Uh, Joe, before we wrap up, maybe a, a quick thought about uh, frogs. What are some of the uh, frog sounds that we might maybe be hearing or begin to hear in the near future? Okay, I'm starved for frog sounds. <laughs> uh, obviously, last week, amphibians were totally dormant, or you might say or there were no frog sounds. But Sunday night, I believe it was, I heard spring peepers from my driveway. been hearing them every night. They're louder and more of them calling nightly. Uh, chorus frogs are calling as well, if you go to the right spots. Southern leopard frogs uh, are calling. This is the time of year they breed, mild nights, and we're in for some mild weather, as I understand it. It's going to get up in the 80s, I think, Saturday and Sunday, at least around 80 in the central part of Mississippi. So that means it'll be mild at night, uh, and there should be some rain. Mild temperatures and rainy nights really go together to make for good uh, Frog, frog nights, listening for frogs. Uh, I personally uh, am on a quest to hear, and I'd love to see and photograph, crawfish frogs. Uh, it's another animal I'd give a body part for it if I could find some in my area. Uh, but that one is, is tough. They are they're very secretive. They live in uh, abandoned crawfish burrows or spend a lot of time in abandoned crawfish burrows, come out after big rain events, and breed, but it's just a short period. The window of opportunity for observing crawfish frogs is very brief, but it's this time of year. Uh, there's two or three others I'd like to, to uh, seek out and find that uh, they're getting harder and harder to, to locate. So we had talked earlier about all about birds.org, and you recommended that as a great site for bird questions and identifications and that sort of thing. Uh, is there a similar site online that uh, folks might go for frog information? Uh, there is, uh, and I don't know exactly, uh, I can't give it to you exactly, but Georgia Frogs is is a really good website. And I can send to uh, uh, to MPB a list, uh, uh, the frog sounds. Okay. I, I, you know, it's, it's available online, but it's sort of a complex uh, uh, website. I can't just, uh, I, I need to send it to you, and then interested uh, folks could uh, get it from you. Uh, all the different frog sounds that are that are found in that we hear in Mississippi. And so, as uh, that maybe the temperature is warm, and hopefully we maybe can get some spring weather. The the uh, chance to hear these frog sounds obviously is going to ramp it uh, ratchet up, I guess. Yes, I would think tonight would be a really good night. And they do call sometimes in the daytime, but not, they're mainly not. They're generally nocturnal. 
Uh, tonight should be a good night for spring peepers, chorus frogs, uh, southern leopard frogs, pickerel frogs. If you uh, if you know what they sound, they sound like somebody snoring in a way, <laughs> and uh, other frogs. So yeah, this is going to be good frog weather the next few days, even after the front passes. I think a front is supposed is supposed to pass through Mississippi. Uh, late this weekend, mm-hmm. but it's not going to get really, really cold, I don't think. So uh, even into next week, I think we'll be good for frogs. All right. Joe, we always appreciate you being on the air with us. And just a reminder, if you ever see something that you need to identify, I know we've talked about uh, some folks saying that they've missed the shot, but try to get it on your phone, uh, and we'll see if we can't help you identify what it is, be it birds, frogs, or other sort of creatures. Absolutely. Creature Conference is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. For Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. Tune in next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.